everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. Just, I hope you realise that when we go into this, that um, you are second fiddle because I am one day kind of hoping for a stew. Yeah, I did try. I tried, and he 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 basically said no. But I don't want to. I've met. No him. way. Why would I want to do that? But I've I've met him though. Yeah, I know. I, know. I said. I have actually. I've you got, actually you got on with you. He said how much he enjoyed. Spending time with you, but no, which is always confusing. I know. Okay. I guess we kind of do an intro, or we can just keep talking because you've been on. I mean, obviously, we've got lots to do and lots to kind of edit together and and everything like that, and it's fine. And you know. And sometimes I just like to play around with the format because this is going to be episode, you know, 293. 293? Wow. <laughs> and how yeah. long? Um, well, this will be officially the 230, yeah, 293rd episode. And how long How long ago did you start? Um, two, two, two and a half years ago. Actually, okay. two and a half years ago today. Wow. You know, so... It's it's actually it's it's quite funny because I hear like I listen to Polyhedron Collider as I'm sure you do as well, and then I'll I'll hear like Steve Tudor saying welcome to Polyhedron Collider to episode sixty eight and they've been going longer than I have in terms of podcasting, and then I kind of feel bad, and I kind of want to have like some kind of um, I don't know shame cry over the fact that I seem to keep on just doing lots and lots of these. But anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You do. Um, I do far too many, you know. You do lots. I, mean, I hope you're still enjoying it, them. Yeah. Oh, no, there was a pause. <gasps> no, it wasn't. It's not that. Do you know what? It's like I'd kind of like to do more. I'd kind of like to, I guess, kind of reach out to the people out there and help people with their their projects and stuff, I kind of feel I'm at that place now where I've kind of got enough experience that I can I can easily kind of look a Kickstarter in the eye and pretty much kind of tell very quickly if it's going to go anywhere or if it's not going to go anywhere. Do you know what I mean? It's oh, one I'm of sure those... there's plenty of space for people to do that. I mean, there's always people that need uh, an eye looking over their Kickstarter campaign. I don't know. Do you know what I might just do? I might just get to Christmas and then just call it, finish it all. No. You know, I might no. just, I might just get to Christmas and say, "Thanks very much, everybody," and I'll see you later, and just do that. Because Are you going to actually declare you're a wizard at Christmas? It's a, 
the so, whole three years were all a joke and you're actually a wizard. Is it going to be like Kaiser Soze at the end of Usual Suspects? And then um, it kind of ruins my plan seeing kind of Sp- Kevin Spacey being a sex offender because I was going to have him kind of come on and go, you know, in the greatest trick, you know, the wizard <laughs> ever <laughs> ever played was to um, to basically convince the world that he wasn't a wizard. Um, you know, but... Ugh, ugh. So anyway... You're having cake. Is it brownies or is it actually cake? Because you say it's brownies. cake. It's but brownies. Brownies, are, brownies just... are cake, aren't they? I don't know. It's a potato cake. A potato cake. Who would have thought you would have been eating a potato cake in 2019? It's absolutely crazy. I know. You know, I but know they, seem to be, they seem to be switching that off and over. Kind of anyway. Because is it both, is it both your young'uns have got um, issues with gluten and milk or is I, it? Um, my eldest uh, has a milk and soya allergy, so dairy and oh, soya. Right, my okay. youngest has a list as long as my arm. It's uh, Yeah, so um, it took four pizzas at the UK Games Expo to actually get a pizza that didn't have cheese on it and had a gluten-free base. Really? Did you not go to the gluten-free? Oh, was that the UK Games Expo? Oh, no. Was... I, yeah, no, yes. This was a, a wonderful certain pizza chain where I asked for a uh, a gluten-free pizza with no cheese. Uh, and they just I couldn't... thought that'd be quite easy. Yeah, the first one was a wheat pizza with dairy cheese. The <laughs> second one was a gluten-free pizza with dairy cheese. The third one was a gluten-free pizza with contamination of obvious cheese dripped all over it. And the final one was right. At least I hope it was. Did you have to pay for any of them? Or did you have I to know, pay I got for that, them? I got that. We, we got that free and a discount off the bill. <laughs> well, I would have thought you would have, wouldn't I? But you yeah. I mean? But um, had I not spotted it, um, which has happened in the past, we would have um, a very poorly child. So. Mm, that's not great. It's, no, yeah, eating out is interesting. Do you think, do you find people are more aware of it nowadays uh, when you go to a restaurant I mean because there's two types there seems to be two types of restaurants what nowadays there seems to be there seems to be a restaurant with a like um, let's drop some names shall we um, places where I like to eat out that are not gluten free and I won't get hurt um, Pizza Express I went to pizza. That, was, that, that was the one where it took four pizzas really was that yes. was that in Coventry that you went to no, but that is the Birmingham one. But a year ago, they were absolutely amazing there. Mm. This year was um, absolutely boring. Because I remember going to the the Birmingham NEC, not for the Expo, because I'll never go to the Expo. But um, <laughs> but um, that Kickstarter was just a lie. And um, <laughs> no, and I remember going there for like a, a retail exhibition. I think it was the Internet Retailing Show, um, which happens, I think probably a couple of weeks actually either before or after the UK Games Expo and um, and I remember we, we went we stayed in Coventry um, the hotel in Coventry and there was a Pizza Express right there and they had like gluten free beer and they basically said that they didn't actually have any flour on the premises at all that all the bases um, all the, the bases were pre-made and prefabricated, but all of the 
the flour that they used in the kitchen was like rice flour or potato flour, and it was absolutely amazing. So that was pretty good. Oh, wow. Um, Frankie and Benny's, surprisingly enough, but- they're Johnny on the spot as well. Their, sp- their food is really, really expensive. But I've never, ever had a situation where I've said, okay, they've said, here's the gluten-free menu, and they've just made it, they've just produced it, and the stuff's been fantastic, and I've never had a reaction. Unfortunately, you go a lot of other places, and they come out, have you had this where they come out with a binder of, with a little kind of checkbox stuff? And you're kind of like... you have to go through it, and you find out that the stuff in the binder is not actually what's on the menu currently. Yeah, because they don't, you know, and it's not, it's because it's a head office thing, because they don't get it printed out, you know, often enough, and then you end up going down, and it's like, and it's not just that, it's like, you just know that the kitchen is just not aware of the situation, and it ends up becoming like a horrific kind of risk kind of thing. Oh, but this way, when we was, um, went to Essen last year, on the way, we stopped in uh, Belgium, and um, we got there late, we'd exhausted all of our supplies in our bag for food and we went out hunting and we had four places refuse to serve us. Really? Just out and out refused? Yeah, we went, yeah they, they wouldn't even just like give my youngest some, like, some bread or some chips or something. They actually said, no, sorry, we can't serve you. And I had like a, then she was like just, what, three and a half? Wow. Sort of saying, I'm really tired and I'm hungry. And we just couldn't find anywhere. The supermarket was closed. And uh, yeah, we eventually found somewhere that would give us some ham and some bread. That's amazing. Um, which uh, fix, fixed my, my oldest and certain my husband could obviously eat anything. Mm-hmm. But uh, me and my youngest, um, we, well, yeah, we uh, sort of just snacked on apples and what was ever left in the bag and the ham. Does it put you out? Just know. does it put you off kind of going out? I mean, obviously, the the thing is, I prefer to cook at home, and I've kind of explored with various kind of cuisine, kind of cooking at home because at least I know that the the stuff that I'm buying. Do you do a lot of cooking from scratch then, or do you not? Do you? I will. We have to really, um, because yeah. it's, it's not, finding something which hasn't got anything anything in there is just near impossible. So uh, yeah, do most things um, cook from from scratch, or um, there's the the odd thing that we can sort of cheat with, um, but yeah, generally we just make it. So uh, I found that hummus is a great cheese replacer on pizza. I, do you know what I don't like hummus? I, I Have hate... you ever tried it on pizza though? You put you spread the hummus on, then you put the tomato on, and then you put your normal toppings on, and it's really tasty. I I I. I just, do you know what I mean? It's like, I get, I used to get that a lot. It's like, I used to get like, beans are gluten free. It's like, yeah, no, I don't like beans. But why not? They're gluten free. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I know, but <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean I've got to like them. You know, it's no, just, it's, it's a, ch- but it says on the tin and they bring over the tin and they twist it round. And they'd say where it was a high source of fibre and, and iron. They say, look, gluten-free, it's actually written on the tin. Um, yeah, okay, nice, brilliant. I still don't I still don't like beans. Um, Labelling's still rubbish. <laughs> and it's not... Uh, do you know what I find? It's always the smaller companies that seem to be better at the labelling than um, the bigger companies. Your big international companies, they... For, well, for, they can afford to be um, sort of take a lawsuit, and the smaller ones can't. Ah, it's just a pain, isn't it? Just really, really um, drives me up the wall. Especially if you're just normal kind of food shopping, and you do 
spend stuff kind of looking at labels and you see something you go well that couldn't possibly and it especially the the crisps are the worst ones I may, know. I may contain well, I make into everything's may contain technically, absolutely everything. I know, unless it's a free from. I know. Yeah, they do because there's no legal requirement to put may contain on. It's just ridiculous. It's but like I, a- but I have actually found milk as an ingredient in ready sorted crisps. Have you? I suppose you've got to be yes. so so careful and just yeah. double check everything. I just want them to have a standard. It's like the either. They don't have the risk. They either say this is potent, this this has got gluten in it, or it's not got gluten in it, or it's made in a factory where they have gluten in it, and just say that this may contain gluten stuff. I think it's to do with legislation that it's got. I think it's something like it's. They say it's like less than so many parts per million, and above so many other parts per million, which is why they can't claim it's gluten free. But they have to say it could contain. It's just nonsense. I just I don't. I don't I the thing is like that it. different companies have different. They have like different um, um, ways of saying it. Most people say may contain, mm-hmm. but I think M and S says not suitable for ex allergy sufferer, mm. and that is their way of saying may contain. Yes, which is really confusing. The first time I saw, it, I was like, I looked through the ingredients and say, I can't see any milk in here. No, and did just go through it? And but. I, this has turned into a completely sort of <laughs> a food podcast, hasn't it? It's, it? You've start something new. Well, this is just no. This is just you know. We will talk about what we're here to talk about, but you know, <laughs> this is an important. No, this is far more interesting. It's yeah. an important it, it, raise awareness. It's an important thing when I think um, one of the things when I went to Aircon, and one of the things I was really really surprised at Aircon was that. Um, because I remember, was it? I was speaking to who was I speaking to? I think I was speaking to Dan, um, and I was speaking to Ross Dan Hughes, um, and I was speaking to Ross Connell for more games, please. And we we're just going to get some lunch, and it was like, oh, where did you get your lunch from? And it's like, oh, we just went to the vans out the back, and I was just like, my heart literally sank because I went, okay, so I guess I'm on kind of fruit and crisps or I'm going to have to try and find a place, a supermarket or something. But I went out there and the pizza place, the burger van and the pancake van all had signs up saying they do gluten-free. And then it was magnificent because they actually said... I know, it was amazing. I couldn't believe it, especially the hats off. Hats off to all three of them. I didn't have a burger, but I had a pizza. And the guy, actually, the guy and the girl actually said, "Like, okay, this is what we're going to do with your pizza. Here it is. It's going in a separate tray. Um, here's the base. The base is kept completely different. There's no flour here. We're going to put it in its own tray. It's going to go on the top. Um, it's not going to be touched with anything else. These trays we use are only for the gluten-free pizzas and nothing else." And it was just like, "This is amazing." Your attention to detail is fantastic. I just want to stay here for the next couple of days and get yeah. fat eating pizza. Um, it was just really, really good. And you know what? It helped. For me, it helped raise the experience of aircon from an already high kind of eight and a half up to nine and a half. Because you know what it's like. I mean, you guys were kind of like, you were in the, the kind of the playtesting zone. So yeah. there's nothing worse than you're putting like a... A five-hour shift in the morning, deciding you're gonna get something to eat, and then realizing that you're gonna you're gonna be snacking on like sweets, which is the worst thing, or potentially like the worst sandwich in the world, kind of thing. Yeah, 
Well, uh, uh, Aircon Dave, as I said, the bands were amazing. Actually, I probably should say a real massive thank you to the the waffle and the pancake one because they actually went out and bought oatly milk so that the following day my daughter um my daughters could have pancakes and waffles because they were using soya milk i mean how's that for service that's amazing they they asked my husband well, they asked Stu basically what what milk can they have and they told them about the oatly and they went out they bought it made sure everything was clean and sorted and then we could have basically waffles and pancakes all day Sunday. It was absolutely amazing. Yeah, it was fantastic. And the UK Games Expo, I, we, we were eating crisps because even the chips had cross-contamination on them. I was picking up the burgers <sighs> with the teas and the chips with the same tongs. It was it was appalling. So basically, me and the two, the two kids uh, couldn't really eat much during the day, so it was whatever we had in the bag that we brought with us for the whole weekend. But obviously you can't bring fresh stuff for three days. No, it just makes it kind of like... Um, yeah, aircon so, was absolutely amazing. I, mean, I want to go back just for the waffles. I, I just want to go back and I tell you what, if I get there, right, and there's not the waffle van, the pizza van and the burger van, I'm going to be storming up to Mark Cook, getting my stepladder out, climbing up my... <laughs> Climbing up my stepladder. I'll hold the stepladder for you. Thank you. Climbing up the stepladder, seeing him face to face and saying, I don't care about your fabulous bring and buy sale. I don't care you've got (laughs) Paul Grogan over there demonstrating. I don't care you've got Rodney Smith and you've managed to get Tom Vassell as well. The vans are not there, Mark. What are you doing, man? What's going on? The whole thing's ruined. Where's my waffle? (laughs) What are you going to do? I'd demand him. I'd frog march him out. Um, I'd obviously maybe ask Dan Hughes to help because Dan's quite a quite a tall fella, and maybe ask him to ask him to kind of help. <laughs> we still not done an intro, but you know we don't need to do an intro because we're just having a gen a general chat, which is we've got to do the intro a little bit. Do you know what when your your son comes on? Yeah, my youngest just stops whatever she's doing. She, even if she's crying, she just stops. Yeah. She listens and yeah. then sort of about 10 seconds after he stops, she starts doing whatever she's doing again. She just sits, she, she really? loves it. It's so cute. So the other day um, I was listening to, I can't remember which one it was, whatever one of them was, and she was crying her eyes out. And so I just kept playing that bit over and over again because it stopped her crying. Which one was that? Was that Emily or? Uh, Sammy, our Sammy. youngest. So she's Sammy. 19 months. Yeah, she was, um, wanted to, t- I don't know what she wanted. I'll get I'll get I'll get Jake to record a hello for Sammy. I think that would be uh, that would be amazing for her. She uh, <laughs> it's just so cute the way she stops and listens I'll to get, it every single time. I'll, I'll get him. I'll get him to kind of. I'll get him to kind of do it. Just for, I'll get that sorted out. Let's talk about. Well, let's first of all catch up on assembly because assembly is. Out and about, first Kickstarter that you ran. Um, well, um, it's out there. It's selling. Um, it's out in retail. It's been greatly received. Um, there's a lot of people love it for both the kind of the, the two player and the kind of the solo aspect for it. In terms of you being able to look back on the kind of the campaign and how things are with Assembly now. You must be pretty pleased. I mean, you must be sitting there with a little smile on your face with an air of satisfaction 
to you? Uh, yeah, it was fantastic how well it's gone, how much it's been loved and enjoyed, but it, it makes the second one more terrifying. <laughs> because <laughs> if people like this one, then they're expecting a lot for the next one. But uh, yeah, no, it's been amazing sort of watching reviews and maybe I just haven't watched them all, but every single one we've seen has been positive and really positive and it's it's amazing something i've created is sent out there which is terrifying in itself and then everyone loves it it's yeah it's a really nice warm fuzzy feeling but it does make um so like the current sick kickstarter much more um daunting because have we got it right is it as good um yeah how how can i beat something that people already love how can you make one as good as your first one (laughs) Which you're always meant to, you're always meant to do better. But how, how can you make something as as better than something that people already like? Are you? What? I, I don't know. I think I want consist. I don't know. Sometimes I want a little bit of consistency. I'm a little bit of a consistency person, and I see a lot of diversification within the kind of the Kickstarter industry. But I think that's more and off kind of around people kind of doing it for commercial reasons sometimes as opposed to creative reasons based on how they're wanting to keep themselves going, which is fine and works for kind of very, very well. The, the What I see with Assembly and especially what I see with um, Sensor Ghosts is there's a puzzle element to this and it's a bit of a thinker's game and it's easy enough for you to pick up and kind of grasp the basics of both games, but there's an awful lot of there can be an awful lot of brain burning in it, depending on how you kind of want to play it. And is that is that the kind of the portfolio that Ren Games is kind of going to aim for? Is that what you and you know yourself and Stu have sat down and discussed and said, right, we want to go in a direction, or is your next game going to be a happy-go-lucky making a gluten-free potato waffle <laughs> kind of game? kind of thing uh, i th- i think um we like the i guess the, the i'm sure if it's in the niche or not but we, we like the niche that we've, we've dug out for ourselves so originally the first game i designed was much bigger much grander ambitions and i just realized that as much as i loved it and maybe one day i will go back to it i just it wasn't right for that time in our life mm-hmm. it just it was too long. I mean, it, it took like an, an hour an hour for a full game. So if you think about playtesting, two young children, amount of time you have in the day, 20 minutes is sort of a decent time which I can get two playtests in yeah. of Assembly or Sansa Ghost in that time. And it's something that I think our gaming has moved much more towards since having children. And you appreciate those smaller games which uh, have a bit of depth to them, but don't take too long. And they can be a bit of brain burner, but you don't have to at the same time. It's not like really, really hard thinking. Mm. It's just sort of puzzling something out. So it's thinking, but not like trying to do the, I don't know, eight times multiplication table in your head or something. Yeah. Uh, and it just, it works for our, our, our life. And so it's more about designing that fits in with us and what we enjoy and I don't think there's enough games like that I mean there's lots out there are as you say just like happy-go-lucky ones or competitive perhaps but less on the co-op or solo on puzzle side 
and it, it, as I said, it just it just works. And um, I think we're just going to try and aim to do more like that because it works with our lifestyle, and that's actually how everything's done. It's about fitting in around other things um, and enjoying it while we do it because it is still very much a hobby for us. And so, yeah, it's about it's got our hobbies have to fit around life, like work and children, and uh, a ten minute, twenty minute game fits in a lot better. And you can just play test it so much more rigorously as well. So, uh, yeah, I'd say that that's our aim. Um, maybe some of the others will come back and I've got some other sort of silly little ideas, but mm. my heart isn't really into it as much. So uh, those are the sort of ones that if someone else is interested in working with me, then that would be great, but not something I'd probably bring to life on my own or on our own. Because... And- I was going to say, and I don't take this the wrong way, but I'm going to say because you are kind of treating this more as this is a hobby and a passion project for us, do you think you're more willing to take the risk in terms of innovation and maybe not go for the the kind of the cookie cutter kind of project? And obviously, no, that's I'd- just my personality. That's nothing to do with anything else. You just no, I I just don't like following the mold. I like doing what I think is right at the t- for me and for us at the time. And mm. um, it's not I like doing things a bit differently. Mm-hmm. That's just who I am. And so no, it's not sort of about taking risks. It's just being I guess about being true to myself and true to what we believe and what we enjoy, rather than trying to get a nice 3D artwork on a box because that's what every other game has and doing something more line art based because it worked and why can't we have that? Why why do we have to conform to everyone else? It's just, didn't even actually think about it as a risk. It was just what worked for us. Again, it's, it's just what worked for us and what mm. we enjoyed doing, what we felt was right for the game and for what we could deliver without... I know, going bankrupt or spending lots of money on something that looked just like another game. And the visuals are striking. Yeah, I mean, you can I mean, tell yeah. you can tell straight away that Sensor Ghosts is from the same portfolio. You know, if it's just like mm-hmm. if you lined up a whole pile of games, and said, right, here's Assembly. What's what's Rain Games' next one? And you, you could, you know, people would point out straight away and go, "It's those, definitely that one there," because the the art style is um, is kind of so similar. Um, I mean, Assembly was essentially about fixing systems in almost like a 2001 scenario where you were you were basically trying to fix the various systems in a ship so you could escape. Um, Sensor Ghost seems to be kind of like the natural progression. It's almost like, well, you know, it's almost like what happens the kind of the five minutes immediately after... I guess the first alien film, <laughs> you know, yeah. when Ripley manages to kind of escape, it's almost kind of like that. Well, what what immediately happens? Because from what I can see, and sensor goes to me is right. Okay, you have managed to escape. You've now got to make your way back to kind of Earth, which is the, probably the the um, probably um, doing the actual kind of story and plot a bit of a disservice. But again. You've you've not gone into keeping it kind of simple and straightforward. There's not like four and a half thousand words of lore 
behind um, assembly, and it's the same with kind of sensor ghost. It basically is, you know, this is it's a very, very simple situation. You are here, you need to get there. There's issues, you know, there's been issues, you need to kind of get it sorted out. And again, was that just because, was that just because you were concentrating on the, on the gameplay side of things that maybe adding in a big backstory behind it was just going to be superfluous and not actually add anything to the game. I, I, the backstory in there was, um, it's, it's a relatively simple game. And so having too much backstory for a small rule book will probably feel a bit excessive for most, but having enough to explain the mechanics and that's where the aim is. There, It should be every mechanic in the game should be justified within an element of the story. Mm-hmm. And that's how we kind of define the level, is that if there's something happening and there's something that you do, there's an explanation so you understand why you're doing it. With the aim of that, making it easier to remember, but not having too much, but not having too little. So we're not going for this like the, the five-line intro, but you've got each section has a little bit extra just to try and explain a bit more of the story of what's going on. So you know why you're flipping cards, why you're trying to go from A to B, why this kills you, because that's how you're going to learn the game. It's how you're going to remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that, that was kind of the aim behind it was just to have enough. Um, but most people can fill in the blanks between that. And it's sort of reading previews and reviews and stuff and how they take, they read the story during the rules, play the game several times and then like almost rewrite it. But they, it's always rewritten slightly differently. And that's really interesting because what it's doing is it's sparking imagination. You need to leave enough in there, I think, for imagination as well so that they can make the, the story and the journey their own. Mm-hmm. But it gives that understanding and reason for doing what they're doing and why the game works the way it works. And it was really interesting design boundaries, actually. So we started this time with the story and designed the mechanics around that. Um, rather than assembly, we kind of had mechanics, then designed the story, and then developed it within the storyline. All right, okay. Are you, I mean, you're, are you planning more kind of expansions to the range? Because the thing about Sensor Ghosts is you've obviously got Sensor Ghosts, the game, but alongside it, um, you've also got... Um, assembly as well you know you've got a little kind of like almost like miniature assam- uh, expansion to assembly which is the kind of the resequence and kind of override um situation so is this is this the beginning of you kind of releasing continual expansions to the games that you've already got i at the moment i think assembly feels complete i don't know I might we might change our mind on that, but um, I think there's sensor gaze could have some more. So we've got uh, a mini expansion that needs a bit more playtesting for sensor gaze already, and some mm. other ideas to expand it further. But it felt the co- the core game was kind of solid as it was that it didn't need that immediately. And actually, people generally found that adding them in early was actually too much they're definitely much more an expansion material than they are base game material mm-hmm. um i don't know in terms of assembly maybe but it's a very simple concept and although um resequence and override don't transform the game they do add two very different ways to play it um in terms of 
how you have to win and uh, trying to turn win strategies so that actually if you do exactly what you always do in the base game you'll probably end up killing yourself before you actually run out of time Mm. um and so it's a conscious effort to try and just mix things up but yeah I, i think i quite like the idea of having a game a new game plus an expansion for the previous one at the same time because you've got if someone wants just to to build on what they've currently got then they can do that and if they want to go for something new they can do that or they can do both and it I, I like it's quite a nice mix I think I was really worried about having a confusing message though but we think we pulled it off but I guess uh, we'll have to have people tell us or not afterwards whether the campaign was confusing or not doing it this way but to be perfectly honest we just we just couldn't face running two Kickstarters in one year. <laughs> One's more than enough. Well, I think, I mean, at the moment, I mean, the the people have voted with their wallets and are, are currently saying, yes, we, we kind of, <laughs> we kind of, <laughs> um, we kind of like this. Um, but, I mean, on the other side of it, you've, you know, um, you've been getting some serious kind of plaudits. I mean, you've got the um, the Dice Tower seal of approval, it says, you've got for assembly. Um, I know, we were absolutely shocked. We had some, we've like sent that off and it's like, yeah, it'll take three months. And hmm. then was on a Discord channel and it's like uh, on New Year's Eve and there's like messages pinging up, Janice, Janice, have you seen this? And it's <laughs> like, what? No, they're, they're not going to do that till March, which is perfect because that's like in the Reluctant yeah. Next Kickstarter. I only, I only sent it to them like two weeks ago. Yeah. And then like this, 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 it came up and it's like we just sat there in awe. It was like, wow, he actually likes it. And I've done it so quickly. But yeah, we got to sort of had a quick chat with um, Z at UK Games Expo. And uh, yeah, it was um, pretty amazing. He's like, said that he still plays Assembly occasionally, which is like, wow. <laughs> He still plays it, but again, it's not just gone in. The, it's not just gone in the basement. But again, do you think that's down to the accessi- accessibility of the game? That it is a game that I mean, in size wise, I mean, the box is really, really small. You know, compared compared to compared to kind of um, other boxes I've seen where you can open up the box and the components could have probably fit in a much smaller box. I mean, the assembly components are fairly they're substantial, but you've not taken up a massive size a box to put them in there and again you don't really need a huge table in order to play it i mean you could pretty much set it down if you wanted to on a coffee table in front of you and, and get a quick game you could set it down in one of those um you know one of the if you're sitting on the train and you had a table in front of you you could you could kind of put it on there and get it kind of played as well so i can imagine it's one of those things if you've got 20 minutes to fill and you've got nothing, you know, nothing much else kind of doing. You know, you could probably have that in your bag, take it out, and have a have a kind of game of it. To be honest, yeah, no, it's it's really quick, and it was a conscious choice to go for a small box. But it's one that we sort of, Stu and I, constantly debate because there's sort of going for a small box and the idea of a small box and having something that's very portable and to carry around. But then there's the buyer's impression of a small box it's a small box it's a cheap game and then as you say the the components inside are not insignificant we just don't use a box full of air Mm -hmm. and so we've had like returns because it's like it's not worth the money because the box is too small pretty much on amazon when you, you look at the feedback and from some sort of some blind testing feedback was like 
oh, it's it's overpriced because it's just a couple of tokens and a card. But if it was in a box that was three times that size, would we still got those comments? I suspect gone, we yeah. probably wouldn't have. And yeah, so it's a, if you were a like really a sort of, century spice road type box or something like that. Then. Yeah. So if you're talking about early about risks, that's probably the biggest risk we took. Mm-hmm. We went for a small box, and that means the perceived value is significantly lower. And particularly on sort of small print runs and pricing, and you don't get the volume discounts. It means that unfortunately the price is a little bit higher than other games in a box that size. Um, which is yeah, it's like, do you just go for a bigger box? <laughs> but that just feels wrong at the set at the same time. I don't I don't want a bigger box personally. I want I want a small box. I can put in. Why do I want a box that is four times too big? Um, but yeah, that's something that is just a, a bit of a, a gut wrench because you've you've got to both do your your morals and your ideals, but also it's going to be on a shelf in a shop, and if it's a tiny box with a technically hefty price tag, I'm sort of most retail. I think most sort of retailers have it in sort of somewhere between the the eighteen and twenty three pounds kind of bracket. Mm, yeah. Um, it, people look it up and they base it on that size, not on what's in there and that, that's a real shame and it's a real psychology that is hard on, online it's easier because people can't actually see the physical size of the box and it takes a lot of effort to return it and hopefully they'll play it before they return it <laughs> um but yeah that's it's just a tough one that one and um i don't really want to go too big a box but at the same time it just having a tiny box i think has uh, done us a disservice as well but I think, but then on the other side of it, you've got, there's quite a lot of folk that have done kind of videos on it, written little pieces on it and stuff like that as well. And again, because it's like, well, how daunting could this game be to get it to the table? You know, which I guess is a is a kind of another way to kind of look at it. Um, In terms of sensor ghosts, how close were you between kind of in the design side of things between putting together assembly and having sensor ghosts there because I remember you putting kind of updates on the Kickstarter project just you know pretty quickly when you were doing assembly to already and even on your page and stuff like that to start talking about sensor ghosts kind of fairly quickly was that was that what it was like you were kind of put assembly as much to bed as possible after the Kickstarter campaign, but then was like, right, Sensor Ghost is the next thing. Let's go on with it. So I, I do like to finish with something before I start something new. And um, it was actually some of the comments on the Kickstarter campaign that I guess really made Sensor Ghost exist. There was a few people saying about, was there going to be a sequel? And we, we thought about it and thought, yeah, why not? And so we, I did my normal sort of going to sleep, trying to think something, and then chatted it through a stew. Mm. We mulled around a load of ideas, got a basic concept. And that initial stage for us is normally pretty quick. Um, and then sort of slowly developed it. And, but it's, it's that refining bit that takes the time. And we had all sorts of stuff that just went wrong with assembly in terms of, uh, after the Kickstarter to, to delivery, um, which meant that it didn't I spend as much time since the ghost as I probably would have liked. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it it was 
it was as a result of that and it just got us thinking and the initial concepts initial concepts and ideas are relatively easy to come by um it's it's that fine tuning that really really takes the time but no it it wasn't planned it was just uh, literally some backers said something we went away and thought and um the idea came popped up and suddenly mm. happened what was the what was the issue she had with the the Kickstarter for assembly was it like manufacturing stuff or no no actually the manufacturer was absolutely fine um oh. so it was in a car accident uh two weeks after the campaign which knocked me oh. out for about a month oh my goodness yeah I remember I couldn't, yeah I couldn't I couldn't sit at a computer for about a month which um delayed me getting files ready mm-hmm. and then we had a, a massive stock loss so two pallets of our stock went missing we had uh, several hundred games got left in Germany because they forgot to read the full sentence. So it was like the full order plus any overs. So you never get the exact amount that you order. You always get generally slightly more. Yeah. And they forgot, didn't read that and the overs. They just read the number. And so wow. we had a load of games left over in Germany, which we had to try and get, get back. Yeah. And, and then, then, yeah. So, um, that, which then put us down on Kickstarter copies because a load of them had been left over there. So we didn't have enough. So we had to like make Kickstarter copies with all the spare stuff that we had. And wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was a, an interesting, interesting time that the, and then like, could we actually even fulfill this because we had a load of games just go missing, which was very frustrating. That must have been very frustrating indeed. Was it a, was it a computer glitch? That caused that? No, they actually no, no. We still have uh, several hundred games missing. You're joking me, really? No, they they most of them are found, but we still have uh, a few hundred games that are missing. Wow, that's. <laughs> luckily, we luckily we overbought, so um, yeah, it was like we we knew we could do it in some way, and we'd also taken a lot back here so we could sort of remake new Kickstarter editions and that sort of thing, and I like spent a weekend getting all the stuff barcoded up and packaged up, ready to be sent mm-hmm. out again. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was uh, a bit of a nightmare, <laughs> to say the least. I'm so glad I brought it up. Um, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> yeah. absolutely terrible now. It's like, yeah, why don't you just give me a paper cut and put some lemon juice on it? Um, <laughs> well, it's something that I, I plan to write about at some point, sort of naming no names, but just on the like what can actually go wrong. So you can plan absolutely everything perfectly, yeah, and sort of personal life and random events will mm. still try and scupper you. <laughs> Having said that, we got pretty much, I'd say, most of our backers' copies, like two thirds, if not more of them, out by the date we agreed with many of them early. It was only sort of like after there's. I think it's something like 50 or 60 people out mm. of 800 got half of their reward late. Not all of it, only half of it. All right, okay. Well, that's yeah, so the half of it got shipped and the other half of it was in the lost, which was really oh, frustrating. But yeah, dear. so we've still got most, most, despite all of that, we've got most of it out. So I take it that has uh, changed your plans for kind of how you're doing, kind of what you're doing with the, what you're doing next then. I take it with your fulfillment and things like that of you I mean is there anything you can do with that can you prepare for that you just you know I guess you just have to see I I don't don't, don't know if if anyone can tell me how to prepare for the loss of two pallets of stock (laughs) (laughs) I would love to know my only preparation was that I had already taken um, 
a load of the games home sort of actually like in the back of my car and stuff which meant I had some spare mm-hmm. but it didn't mean like I couldn't like do then the marketing because I literally we got down to uh, aircon we had after that I think six packs of glitches left to our name because mm-hmm. we all the rest were missing and that was it and it's like well we we push it then we basically can't sell necessarily what we have mm-hmm. and so it was like a real dilemma on what to do there mm-hmm. um so that was that was quite quite tough and then Amazon were right load of uh, I could say various words as well there couldn't I <laughs> They just like randomly suspend your account over the I'm, Christmas Christmas period. I'm very with no reason, no notice, and then just magically unlock it ten days later after the Christmas period has ended. I'm very very aware of your Amazon <laughs> situation. <laughs> yeah, that, that was uh, also um, fun. As my, so as if my could tell me how to avoid that as well, um, would be absolutely fantastic. But again, no reason given. No notice given. Every time you ring up, they say, check your emails. You check your emails. I haven't got an email from you. Sorry, it's under investigation. I can't talk to you about it. How can one, I stop you doing this in the future? I don't know. One day I'm going to do a podcast about Amazon. I need to be careful about doing a podcast about Amazon and eBay. Not because I'm scared of what Amazon and eBay will do, because, you know, I know them well enough to know they're not organised to do stuff about it. <laughs> Um, but I think it's important to to have a logistic a logistical discussion in relations to board games and Amazon. Um, you know, I have to be careful about it because it is my job, and I have to watch kind of conflicts of interest and stuff like that as well. Um, uh, you know, I cannot, I guess, kind of look into the future and put my radar out there and make sure that I don't crash into any unfortunate kind of asteroids. Um, just kind of like sensor ghosts, really. Yeah, yeah, definitely avoid them. Um, Wherever you can, particularly the big ones. I am going to give you a description of sensor ghosts because I want—I really want people to um, to kind of to check it out. Just the whole um, premise behind it. So I'm going to explain, and you can interrupt. You can tell me if I'm talking um, nonsense. But sensor ghosts is basically the follows-on. As I said before, directly after the events in assembly, you have escaped the malfunctioning computer. Unfortunately, it has managed to spread some of its maliciousness into your escape pod or escape ship's navigation computer. And you're you're basically trying to navigate an asteroid field to try and get yourself back to Earth. And before you, there are essentially rows after rows of cards which contain kind of asteroids or free space. Um, but unfortunately, because of this lovely computer, um, you might know or not know what is actually ahead of you. you um, you've got the ability to move your ship, decide how, how you're going to move it. Um, you've also got the ability to also scan ahead and the cards themselves that you lay out um, they have exact they actually have what they are actually underneath when you flip them over it tells you you could have a picture of maybe a meteorite and what could be in there it could be an obstruction which means you you die it could be a picture of free space which you turn over and it could still be free space which means you can pass through but interestingly enough um, at the end of when you're playing your turn the entire um, row above you shifts a couple. Of, it shifts a card to the left, 
which means that um, as you're navigating through the through the field, um, you need to be consciously conscious of how you're going to navigate yourself your way through um, with the potential destruction happening to your ship at any possible time. Is that kind of the correct thing or have I got this completely wrong? No, that's that's perfect. I think so. Yeah, it's it's uh, the the movement is all predictable, so mm-hmm. that you can plan for it, or you can just gamble and probably die, which is what Stu does when he plays tests. He either he either <laughs> completely beats it with like a, a half a deck left, or he dies miserably because <laughs> he just takes risks the whole time. It's basically it's it's designed for planning, and if you take risks, you'll win mm-hmm. about fifty fifty. But you'll either crash and burn or win with like with a huge victory <laughs> which is quite amusing to watch that sort of type style of gameplay but yeah for, for your standard person that does a little bit at least a little bit of planning and doesn't just um, take risks every turn you'll probably still be about a 50 50 win actually but uh yeah it, it's literally I, I describe it as a, a moving maze puzzle where it's what's on the bottom of the cards that matters not the top i was using backs and fronts and that confused people because they, they technically have a back and a front but as soon as you have them out in a grid, they no longer have a back and a front. It's what's the bottom of the top so, that matters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's like, is it that Harrison Ford film? Is it What Lies Beneath? Um, I don't know where I got that from. Anyway, um, but again, it's designed to be easy to set up, easy to play, easy to understand the fundamentals and the basics, but also provide your ability to, if you've got not much to do, you can set it up on a table because again, it doesn't. It takes a. It take, does take more space, I would say, than assembly, but it's still a fairly compact game. the The cards themselves are square. They're probably about what two inches by two inches, roughly. They're about the seventy mil ish uh, by seventy mil. Right. So okay. Whatever that is in inches, I have no idea. Yeah, slightly okay. Yeah, probably about just yeah, over two, just... two inches. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I'm old money, so <laughs> yeah. I can't help it. I look at that. <laughs> old money. Um, yeah. Um, you get your counters as normal. You get a nice little kind of you get your normal ship. You get your little escape pod as well. Yeah. If you're playing um, single player, you've not only got to get your ship through, but you've also got to get your escape pod <laughs> Yeah, that's not just for single player. That's for all player modes. It's yeah. it's actually mine and Stu's preferred mode. We right. felt the base game was maybe a little bit missing, and that we we introduced that to make it feel more complete for when we were playing. Mm-hmm. But when playtesting and teaching others, people found it just too much to include that in at the beginning because you're thinking about so many things already. Mm-hmm. So I guess it kind of comes to the point that we'd playtested it so much that we got to the point of needing something extra and then hadn't allowed for that, which is why it's a variant rather than oh, right, okay. now in the base rules. Because um, if you pick it up straight away and you're good at it and sort of if you understand what's going on, then include it pretty early on. But otherwise, um, it's like advised not to play with it straight away because you'll probably forget about it and your poor little skate pod will crash and burn and you'll ultimately or technically lose unless you suddenly pretend you weren't playing with the skate pod. Because of the community that you built up through assembly, were you able to reach out to more people to get them to kind of play test to to kind of play test sensor ghosts? I yes and no. We got uh, a lot um, newer and different um, play testers, no. um, but at the same time, I think the card count was a little higher, so we perhaps had a little less take up 
um, in terms of the playtesting as well. So we, we got some, some decent feedback and results. But uh, yeah, I think it was a, a bit of a mix, I think, with Assembly because we did it through um, originally Board Game Geek and one of the contests. Yeah. We got a fairly decent amount of playtesting as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, Sense of Ghost, we went fully on our own, which means that you've, you've got to do it purely through willing volunteers um, because they like print and plays, which is, is, I think, a little bit harder, particularly, and sort of with modern life, uh, cutting up and printing out cards is, um, I think, the, the least favourite part of game design for me. It's so the, uh, anyone it's that does it regularly, I, I have uh, most, that most respect for. Yeah, I know people that just say, oh, just send me the print and play files, and I'm just like, you're automatically my hero for doing that. Um, also on the other side of it, I think as I was, um, I said this the other week that, um, please, if you're sending out preview copies, please put your rule book on just blank, <laughs> the basic of the basic, because <laughs> it makes it so much easier to print, um, as well. Um, yeah, just for kind of reading and, and things like that. Um, just cause I like, I like rule books. I like rule books in certain facts, but if I'm just wanted to learn how to play your game, then having a big, huge, shiny thing with multiple colours is a bit of a bugger to print, <laughs> to be honest, especially if you've only got a monochromatic printer, so you end up not being able to see half the stuff. <laughs> but there you go. That's just something to decide. Um, in terms of the price, in terms of the price point for Sense of Ghosts, um... Will you try to kind of keep it round, kind of like round about the similar price, you know, the similar price tag as assembly? Yeah, that's the aim. We sort of, I think, somewhere between the the 20 and £30 is probably the sweet spot that you're not going for too much. But uh, mm. also it's it's kind of worth doing, if that makes sense, um, that you actually get enough return that you can then go to things like UK Games Expo, you can pay for some of the marketing for the next Kickstarter and the, the and I guess pay for the, the extra print runs and stuff. So yeah, it, it seems like the right sort of price. It's the sort of price that it's not going to be people also taking a huge risk on you because we're still a young company. We're new in the game design world. So it's something that if someone buys it, they don't feel like they're taking a big risk on this unknown. So, and, and it, I think it is, there's lots of games should be on the, the lower end because um you don't know money isn't hugely out there you don't you don't have huge amounts of budgets for it and there's a huge amount of competition for the 40 50 pound games and if someone's spending 40 50 pounds they're going to go for something they know they're not going to go for some unknown publisher well at least that's my thought anyway <laughs> um so yeah we feel that's the right sort of price point for us it works and um, it's the right sort of budget for presents and stuff as well, or just as a, a quick purchase at an expo or on Kickstarter. Because currently, to get in the door, because we've talked price, but we haven't actually talked price. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, if you're wanting the expansion for um, Assembly, is £14. Um, yeah. If you want to have uh, Sensor Ghosts, it's £24. Yeah. Um, if you want to do a bit of both and have your, um, as you call it, the pilot and survivor, it's thirty-seven pounds. 
Um, and then you've also got what's thirty nine pounds pledge. That's that that? that's basically that's just assembly stuff. So if you didn't want to go for anything new, you just wanted to ah, go for right. assembly glitches and mm. the resequence and override. You can just go the assembly route if you want to. All right, cool, cool. Good. So yeah, so we, we try to price it all relatively competitive so that when you're going into the thirty pounds, you're getting two things. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the thing I'm most excited about the Robo Meeple is in override. <laughs> Because <laughs> you just had discs oh. before, and now you've got meeples. Yeah, so they have meeples, and I thought we could just go for basic ones, but I, I really, really, really wanted to go for printed robo meeples. We looked around, and we couldn't find any decent robo meeples out there, so we've mm. got to make some. So, uh, yeah, we might do some crafts, make some magnets and stuff with them with, with my oldest family. And maybe you'll see her wares at the next UK Games Expo of mm. robo meeple magnets that she's made. That'll be absolutely. That's my plan, anyway. That'll be absolutely fantastic. Um, there's about two weeks to go when we're as we're talking. Um, yeah. Um, I might just not edit. I'm definitely not editing out the beginning bit, you know, because I haven't done an intro. So you're gonna have <laughs> you you're gonna have the fl- you're gonna have the gluten free chat at the beginning, and then we're going to be talking about sensor ghosts at the end. So we're kind of being. It's kind of like the end, you realize. get you some food and then show you a good time. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Basically. Raise awareness about uh, intolerances and allergies and uh, then we talk some board gaming. It's an important, look, it's an important subject and it is need, needs to be something that is discussed and kind of out there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Pretty much, pretty much. Um, if people want to keep an eye on you on you and Stu on the internet webs. Where do you exist on the internet webs? Uh, so I guess I'm most active on Twitter uh, at Dravin, D-R-A-V-V-I-N, but you also find us at Ren Games, like the bird, W-R-E-N, mm-hmm. and Games, um, across Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So find us in all of them. Or obviously there's rengames.co.uk, which is a website that one day I will finish. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 don't have my, I don't have my fingers crossed there I promise Just it, it's better than be it used to be this is on tape um, that's yeah, not an excuse one day I, um, yeah. just be aware this has been recorded um, <laughs> so we can hold you that in the when we're doing your third <laughs> Kickstarter campaign which... yeah, you do realise how I finished my PhD thesis what's that? do you know what I did? No. I deleted sections Really? That was how I finished it, yeah. I decided rather than finishing those sections, I just deleted them. Wow. <laughs> you realise you're only allowed on the show next time if you bring Stu? I will try. I Maybe I'm... I could trick him. I could tell him that we're bringing his parents or something. I'm just putting that, I'm just putting <laughs> that out there. Um, <laughs> if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, if you are Stuless and have been affected... Um, with lack of stew in your life, then you too can get support by going to Google, searching for we're not stew.com. And <laughs> uh, no, if you go to we're not wizards.com and there is our specialist kind of non stew support line, um, don't be alone if you have no stew in your life who doesn't want to come on your podcast. Um, you can also find us on Instagram, you can find us on Facebook. You can go to our website, which is wearenotwizards.com. 
you can go to our blog, which is .blogspot.com, with we're not wizards in front. If you want to email us in general, you can email us at magic at we're not wizards.com. If you want to email us specifically about the podcast, because it's been so... <laughs> it's quite... Do you know what? I I wholeheartedly apologise to everybody who's emailed me and I kind of say, I'll get back to you. And I kind of email them a week later and say, oh, sorry. <laughs> because <laughs> I get so much email now that I've now got podcast at wearenotwizards.com. So you can email us directly through there. If you'd like to be on the show or if you have a question or anything like that, just email us podcast at wearenotwizards.com. If you want to continue to um, help us grow, you can do a couple of things. Um, we've got Patreon. You can go to the Patreon, give us money. It's fantastic. You know, money helps. Let's not lie about biscuits. it. Um, yeah, gluten-free biscuits. Yummy. Uh, the other thing that you can do as well is you can go to, um, you can tell somebody else about us, which is always fantastic. The next thing you can do is you can go to the Apple Podcasts for as long as they exist. Um, drop us a subscription. Drop us a rating. Drop us a review. Drop us a stew. Um, and as we said, he's going to be reeling at this because I have met him. <laughs> he does exist. I'm just doing this through embarrassment now. Um, but as I say, if you um, if you like what you've listened to, don't give us um, 10 stews because that makes it big-headed. <laughs> but don't give us one stew. Well, I'd probably settle for one stew. Um but give us five. Yeah, one stew's plenty. One stew's Perfect plenty. Number. Give us five. Because it's in the middle. And it's average. But um, <laughs> the person who's not been average tonight is Stu. And the person who has been <laughs> average tonight is Janice. I think that's the first time you said my name so far, isn't it? In the past hour. Uh, it's, I know, it's fantastic. And it's a completely back-to-front podcast. It is. So joining us to talk about... <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna. The, the, this is the backwards show. So, joining us to talk about the game Sensor Ghost, we've got Janice Turner from Ren Games, and then we're gonna have a little discussion about food intolerances and the ability of getting food at Expo, <laughs> and restaurants being able to follow simple instructions. And that that is very very important. Um, I guess there's only there's only two more things to do. Um, the first thing is to remember. There were many things, but we're not wizards. Not yet. Oops. I spot it. Yeah, I've absolutely just ruined sorry. everything. Oh, I, I'm sorry. <clears throat> and the second thing ah. is the second thing is to say goodbye. So it is a goodbye. Um it's goodbye. She 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 turned Do I have to say goodbye. She okay. turned turned Bye. at the last minute. <laughs> She was a turner. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have completely put you off. Your, your little outro is now completely ruined. Should we try again? No. 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 <laughs> Say goodbye. Goodbye. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes, make something awful. Beware of wizards. <laughs> beware. Beware of wizards. Beware of people that you trust. Turning around at the last minute, <laughs> saying that they might be wizards, <laughs> you know. But until the next time, goodbye. Goodbye. I could do a robot voice at the end, couldn't I? Yeah, we could. Could do all we, sorts of things. You could, but we won't, you know, because it just ruined it. 
completely. Yeah, I'm sorry. You know, what are you looking at, Dave? Why are you doing that, Dave? <laughs> anyway. Hello and, anyway, welcome. Hello and welcome to the show. <laughs> and that'll do. <laughs> that'll do. Welcome to the show. And I present here Richard from We're Not Wizards, who we're interviewing this evening. Ah, <laughs> oh dear. And cut. A wizard is never late. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. (laughs) 